I just was informed that I'm being recorded, which uh, <laughs> I'm glad this is an illegal situation. And um, I also very appreciative that the United States is a statute of limitations on, on stuff, so I, don't know, I can't get in too much trouble. Um, I said, I'm Ron, I am a, an alcoholic. And I do like the phrase, it's in Alcoholics Anonymous, it says, uh, our, our stories disclose in a general way what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. Uh, when I came in, the first problem I had was, what's it? You know, what it was like, what it, what happened, what it is like now. And I just come to understand for myself that it is life, uh, what life was like, what happened, what life's like now. And that's why when, you know, you know, sometimes you know, somebody gets it, somebody doesn't get it, I just kind of always refer to it as life. Somebody doesn't get life or they get it or whatever. Um, so, uh, in, a, in a general way, I'll just uh, share that when I was uh, 17 years old, as stupid as somebody can be, um, I just made really bad decisions. Um, by the time I got to high school, I was a party animal. I liked to party with everybody. and. Uh, Bad decisions, including selling a pound of pot to two cops on a beach in Cape Cod, Massachusetts, um, thinking it was a good idea. I didn't want to go to court, so thinking it was a good idea to take off and go to a, uh, a commune called Earth People's Park, <laughs> and, uh, and went. Uh, the commune was really full of fugitives. It wasn't full of hippies. <laughs> it was just people living in the woods. And, uh, was up on a board of Canada and it got pretty cold at night. Well, my decision making did not improve. Um, as I started to get older, some of the stuff I used to use and to uh, entertain myself, whatever, some of that, a lot of that stuff went away, but alcohol stuck around. Um, and I just became what I thought very good at drinking. You know, um, I could now, I, I learned to drink and not get in a, in a lot of trouble. And I learned for myself the f what I thought was flying under the radar. You know, play the game, be employed, income. Um, met a nice young lady, got married, a couple of kids. And uh, all the while, thinking I'm doing, I'm doing great um, at, at that time. Uh, but I, I, I was going through a lot of things that I didn't understand until, until uh, sobriety. Um, like what a resentment is, you know, um, if somebody just told me it was, it was your shit list and I said, oh yeah, I got one of those, you know, <laughs> and it would probably be like a phone book, you know, if I wanted to get a resentment list, I'll just get the phone book and uh, that pretty much would, would take care of it. Um, but a resentment, like example of a small one, um, when I was, I was single in my 20s, my car broke down, it was raining out and didn't have uh, phones attached to our hips back then. So I 
made my way through the rain and mud and everything to, uh, to a, a fast food place called Wendy's. And I went inside and I asked them if I could use the phone. My car had broken down. And they said, no. <laughs> they said, about a half mile up the street, there's a payphone. Um, so I didn't eat or visit a Wendy's for some probably over 20 years. In the meantime, I got married, had kids, and my kids would be young, you know, four, five, six years old. Can we go to Wendy's? And I go, no, I'm not going to Wendy's. I'll go to McDonald's, I'll take you to Subway, I'll go here or there, uh, but not Wendy's. Um, and <laughs> it's ridiculous. I come to understand that's a resentment. I had a lot of them. That's just a minor one. That, you know, that's just uh, how much a small thing, you know, would would stay uh, with me. Never mind the big stuff like like uh, you know, relationship with parents, uh, jobs, coworkers, bosses, all that. You know, the, the bigger stuff, uh, world events whatever, never mind those resentments. Uh, I couldn't handle a, a little tiny itty bitty one, you know, getting angry. Um, so I, uh, I continued to, uh, you know, be, ha have jobs. Um, and in some amount of sanity, a couple of years after high school, I, I managed to, to get some college in and I ended up, uh, um, somewhat educated, everything, and, and with that, um, my careers or jobs would go from professional to um, basically I was a, a truck delivery driver, and I kind of liked it because people left me alone. Um, didn't have to talk to many people. I didn't have to do much of anything except pick things up and put them down and drive in between those places. Um, and I thought I was the best freaking delivery driver in the Northeast here. My, my route was Boston and uh, traffic around Boston uh, is kind of hideous because uh, the, the roads are based on old cow paths. There's no logic to them or anything like that, but I got to know the area very well. And I viewed it as a right that when I wanted to have a beer drink, that I would have one. And um, I used to be able to put off, you know, uh, after I pulled the truck into the warehouse, be able to get in the car, car stop at the liquor store, and then have some drinks when I got home. Then it was um, not, you know, didn't quite wait till I got home. And I couldn't get out of the parking lot at the liquor store. Till eventually, I was stopping at liquor stores with the truck, with the name on the truck and a 1-800 number and all that, and, and getting uh, what I needed uh, with the, at first saying, well, I don't have to make the stop once I park the truck. Home. Then it was opening it up, and then you know, sooner or later it was like, I, the times would move up uh, from I could wait till after work till 
on the way home from work, driving the truck. Um, and then before I knew it, it'd be, it'd be like noontime. And my wife would pack me a nice lunch and I'd have it in a cooler. Now, and I'd pass a poor guy on, on the street corner with a sign. And he's homeless and hungry. And, and I would give my food. I'd give my sandwich and stuff to this guy thinking I'm a, I'm a great, great person, you know, um, humanitarian. <laughs> I'd have room in my cooler. I'd fill it up. And I'd start drinking while driving a, a truck full of hazardous stuff around Boston. And one day, I didn't even remember having this thought. I had a thought when I was in sobriety, probably having to do with steps, you know, looking at some steps, whatever. And the, that thought was, I, I was driving a truck one day and it was on a, a ring road, a highway around, went around Boston, and it started to um, get a snow squall or whiteout conditions, like within a minute, and the roads got bad fast. And I already had a couple of drinks in me. And I had a thought, and this is the thought I remembered having. What if somebody hit me, slid their car, hit my truck, I'm in big trouble. Um, and all that being true, but then I realized my thought was, what if somebody hit me? I'm, I'm the one under the influence. My thought wasn't, geez, you know, what if I lose control of this truck, kill somebody, kill a family? wipe out a portion of the environment, whatever it might have been. I did not think of others. It was, what if somebody hit me? And it kind of hit me like a two by four over the head. What a selfish bastard I've been for a long, long time. You know, very selfish thought. And so, you know, with sobriety, start, started to come some clarity. Um, and with that clarity came a lot of pain. Um, I, I started to uh, really have, have problems at work and none of it, I believe, was related to alcohol. It was that my boss was an a-hole. The people I work with were a-holes. Everybody, you know, everybody and everything. I, I, and I, not, I started not dealing with things. So I started having what I believed to be nervous breakdowns. And I went to a psychiatric hospital. I'd come out of the hospital thinking, all right, you know, I'm within a day or two out of the hospital. I'm taking these new new psych meds that they've given me, I'm popping them in my mouth, and I'm swelling them down with a Budweiser, you know, because um, I, uh, that's what I did. And that, but, and even with that, things would get, would be okay for, I wouldn't say they got better, but they, they somehow I was able to tolerate it. And then the whole, the thing would start again. And I'd end up back in the psych house, probably about the last seven years of my drinking. And the third time in there, and my memories are, I, I can remember some stuff about being in a hospital, but I can't a lot of times remember which time it was that I was in the hospital. Um, 
I, the last time I, I, I after being, how, how I got there was I collapsed in my front hall. Um, and uh, my wife called an ambulance and they took me to a regular hospital, which I was there for a few days. But I, I couldn't, I didn't, I didn't talk. And I don't, to this day, I don't know if it's, I couldn't talk or I just wouldn't talk. And I'm not sure. And um, they finally sent the shrink in, packed me up and shipped me out of there because they took all kinds of Polaroids in my brain and, and stuff. And so, well, we don't say anything wrong physically. And they sent me off to the psych hospital again. Once they figured out that I had been there before, it wasn't the uh, rocket science to figure out that that's probably where I should be. Came out of a psych hospital and graduated to what they call a day hospital, where you draw, you go in the morning, you're, you're there during the day, and then you go home at night. And just within a couple of days, I was um, I was stopping at the liquor store on the way home from the psych hospital, where they're teaching me stuff about cognitive behavioral therapy, how how I act, think, behave, that kind of stuff, and in ways that they find can help. Um, and I'm. I'm thinking, really thinking, and I'm start, starting to understand this stuff. You know, I'm starting to understand what they're talking about. I stop at the liquor store. I uh, pick up a, a, a quart of uh, uh, ice beer, which is more alcohol in it. And I pick up a six-pack of non-alcoholic beer. And I make sure there's one alcoholic beer missing by the time I get home. So if my wife smelled beer on my breath, I can say, oh, yeah, I have one. I have one of these. You know? <laughs> so I'm, I'm believing I'm understanding the stuff that they're talking about. And I'm stopping at a liquor store. I'm drinking while I'm driving home. I litter because that's the only way I know how to get rid of the damn bottle. Um, and then I lie to my wife once I get home. So... What I think I'm understanding, I'm understanding nothing, like zero. And that last time, it was, it was around this time of year, and there was a counselor at, at the psych hospital, and after we talked for a while or whatever, and I didn't talk a lot about alcohol, because um, the last thing I wanted to talk about, in case somebody suggested I not do that, I did. I was deathly afraid of that happening. Um, uh, but he suggested I, I try an AA meeting, and I really didn't know what AA was. I thought it was just a bad joke in the bar, you know, AA's for quitters. Uh, and um, so... But I, I said, all right, I, I am really, really tired of being sick. I do not like this mental illness, you know, this depression, anxiety, this diagnosis, that, that, all kinds of stuff. I went to an AA meeting, and it happened to be in the in the very same building that I went to grammar school with, with the nuns, um, you know, Sister Mary Cracky Knuckles and, and the rest of the crew. And I just 
by pulling into the parking lot and seeing that building just uh, gave me a lot, you know, contempt. And I wa walked into the AA meeting and it was full of nice people. They were smiling and welcoming and um, well, I wasn't used to that. Um, and then they had the, the banners all over the walls with various things on them. And I sat down, I couldn't really listen to anything. It just sounded like the next speaker was trying to be funnier than the speaker before him because people were laughing and they were kind of like doing whatever they do in an AA meeting. Um, but I, it was very foreign for me. And um, at the end of the meeting, they got up, they held hands in a circle, big circle, and they said the Lord's Prayer. I said, aha, that's who these people are. They're religious nutcases, <laughs> is my immediate conclusion. And I left there. I went to the liquor store. Um, but a few days later, I went to another meeting. And um, I believe now, for quite a while, I was kind of confused about this, but I believe now. I was desperate enough to get well. Um, I was willing to try anything. And um, in that second meeting is when I figured out, oh, these people are talking about not drinking at all. <laughs> they're not talking about just getting their lives together and getting on with their lives. They're talking about, they're talking about you know, abstinence and, and, um, and looking at yourself. And... Those two things are very scary for me. But about a month after I started going to AA meetings, I, uh, a day came, I didn't have any alcohol. There, were, there had been a few days, because um, Christmas was in that time, and I view myself as, uh, <laughs> I was the Grinch that stole Christmas because I was home, I wasn't working, and my wife, who picked up having her relatives over for Christmas, uh, Christmas Eve, uh, when her mom passed, she, she took that over, um, canceled it. Because um, she had, you know, I'd been, you know, not just because of you know, me, she'd been through a lot too um, with all of this. And she canceled Christmas. So I was feeling like the Grinch that stole Christmas, had Christmas canceled, which was the Grinch's wish, right? And uh, about, you know, coming up uh, about a week is uh, the states would call it anniversary, other parts call it birthday, whatever, but I'm, I'm coming up on one in about five days or so. And it's a, um, trust, you know, kind of what it was like, you know, what happened. But what happened um, as far as becoming sober just was just starting. Um, in, my, in my first year, I was still the same guy. I just wasn't drinking. Still like to blame everybody. Still like to point fingers. Um, all that kind of thing. About about eight months into sobriety, I moved out of the house. And at that time, we were married about twenty five years. It 
my kids had, were in their early 20s. I moved out of the house because I thought, I just can't take this crap. I just can't take it anymore, right? I wasn't drinking. Now I so barely afford the house. Now I, got, I have an apartment also. Then two months after that, I'm feeling the same way about work. I, I can't take it anymore. I just can't take doing the same work. I can't take it one more day. And I quit my job. So now I have two households, no job, 10 months sober, <laughs> right? out of my mind, completely out of my mind. I'm ready to go bang on that mental hospital. Let me in. You know? I wasn't sure where else to go. But through it all, I, I kept I kept going to meetings and and I kind of more think of it as the steps kind of did me uh, in the beginning. I didn't do the steps. They kind of did me. And I even, you know, in AA, I thought I would I thought I was screwed because this higher power this God thing just wasn't it wasn't uh, happening for me, even though all these people kept saying, oh, don't worry about it, just keep going. It all happened. It would be okay. And um, it wasn't happening. And I started going through all, you know, listening to different people, started going through all kinds of different things of formulating what higher power could be for me. And, um, and it was kind of trial and error kind of thing, mostly error. Um, but early on in sobriety, I was in a, a Savers thrift store um, looking for a raincoat, something because I was doing a lot of walking <laughs> at that time, couldn't afford driving. And I found the raincoat. And I went over, I was looking through the book section and I found this little book, uh, kind of meditation cards and a, a book. It was called The Wisdom of Tao. And I brought that home and I started reading the meditation cards and cards and, and the pamphlet that came with it. And, and some of the stuff in it for me was making some sense. Um, and it was, you know, it wasn't a religion. It wasn't anything like that. It was just, it was just some things that I could understand. And so sometimes I would jo I'd joke about it with my sponsor. Hey, I, I, I found my higher power in Savers Thrift Store. You know, and, uh, uh, I get a kick out of that. Um, and, but it, it really helped. It, it helped me. It opened up kind of a door that there was more of knowledge. There was more of things that I could identify with um, in, in the world. So that was, uh, I was all about 12 years ago. And I, you know, I've been um, not, you know, not drinking, but learning how to not drink it and learning, learning how to live. Uh, when I came in to AA, um, I was a fifty. I was fifty-two years old. But I was a fifty-two-year-old adolescent. I had an adolescent brain. Um, in other words, I was stupid. <laughs> That's the way I look at it. Um, I just putting two and two together was was difficult. Um, 
log- logic, which always seemed to come a little bit easy to me, what wasn't coming easy, nothing was coming easy, and there was life, you know, um, that's the last part of it, you know, what what it's like now. Um, my, my sobriety over time is constantly evolving, so I, I, I try not to get stuck in any one set of ideas or set of anything. I, I was, uh, I've been available for my kids as they became adults, um, more available. I was kind of missing in action during their teenage years. And so I, I got to, to learn and experience what amends, you know, making an amends was about. Um, and, and, you know, in sobriety, my, my mother got, my mom got uh, sick. Uh, she developed Alzheimer's, uh, which is a progressive disease. People know, so it went from you know having to be at her apartment a lot to having to stay over at night um, to fixed up. In the meantime, when I said I moved out of the house, I ten months after that, um, so I I moved back in uh, to the house because uh, you know I, I had uh, the psychiatrist, the marriage counselor, a sponsor. All this, it took like all the king's horses and all the king's men to get, trying to put Ron back together again, back up together again. And um, we have a, pretty soon we have our 35th anniversary coming up. And, which is remarkable. <laughs> um, um, then when my, my mom got sick, my, our family, not my decision, it became, Family decision had to do with family. It wasn't me dictating what was going to occur and happen. And we made a decision together that mom will you know, move in. And I quit. I left my job that I had at that time uh, to take take care of my mom. And so what AA afforded me was not that life was going to be wonderful. What it afforded me was that I, I, I became available to participate in my own life. Um, and I became available for those people in my life, uh, not just a, a speed bump. I think that was my kid's nickname for me when they were young was speed bump because they had to step over me all the time. Um, so, and before and then, you know, my, my mom was here a while, and then it was very, it became very, very difficult, and she did end up having to go to a nursing home, nursing facility. And um, in the meantime, um, I have I have one sibling, an older brother, and he became ill, and I still in sobriety having resentments to my brother i didn't feel like my brother did enough to help with mom um he you know unless asked he didn't you know brought up and i hate asking for help i don't know if anybody else has that problem but i hate it and to have you know 
my brother like come and, and sit with mom for a while while Cheryl and I could go out for uh, just go out for a little bit, get away. Um, so I didn't like how my that about my brother. But my brother got sick and died like in a month from diagnosis to death, and he he died. And then all this crap that I thought about my brother didn't matter. It didn't. It was like, what a waste of freaking time, you know, started to not like what somebody's doing. Um, and so in sobriety, here I am, you know, learning about this stuff. This is kind of what I mean. The steps kind of did me um, in a lot of ways. And um, then the, uh, the funeral director passed the papers to me. He said, you're the next of kin. You, you, you make the decisions on this, on this stuff. I said, me? <laughs> you got to be. You, th no, that's got to be a mistake. This has got to be. No, no, it was me. <laughs> make, make those decisions. Um, but they ended up being. Um, every, everything ended up being okay. And my, my mom passed and, and everything was okay. Um, things happened, you know, things happened health-wise for me. Everything's, you know, okay. Um, I have self, you know, health stuff that are consequences, probably from my drinking. Um, uh, but it's really, it's okay, you know. It's okay. It doesn't stop me from being content. It doesn't stop me from being happy. Uh, at time, you know. um, I'm not getting in my own way as much. Um, you know, I, I thought for a while you know, that stop this, just stop that crazy thinking. You know, I just wanted to stop thinking. And uh, it wasn't so much my thinking as it was uh, my being. Um, you know, given those times where I ended up in that hospital, one time I was on my way to jump off a bridge, you know, I had enough, but I found myself in the wrong lane. Um, the bridge was to the left and I wasn't in the left hand lane to turn left. <laughs> for you know god forbid i make an illegal turn while going to kill myself you know um couldn't have that um <laughs> i ended up in front of a fire station blowing on a horn until they came out and uh so what kind of condition i was and took me to the hospital so i don't have to go through that anymore um i I don't have to drink. Um, the choice to drink was, you know, I didn't have a choice. Today I have a choice. Um, today I, I, I have choices about how I live my life and what I do. I still get in my own way. I still say stuff that just shouldn't stay. I can still be insensitive. I can I still have all this stuff I can work on. Isn't that wonderful? Um, but I don't look at it so much as work anymore as 
is, is experiencing and, and just trying to learn from, from experience, the experiences. And I try. And that's another word. It's in AA a lot. Try. You know, we try to carry a message. Um, and I, boy, I think that's the most I've talked <laughs> about in a share. And I, um, yeah, I'll tell you, Zoom came along and um, then I found that, you know what, the United States just does, you know, they, the AA had a list of meetings you go to on Zoom when the pandemic hit. I said, well, I bet other countries have that too. And I found one in Great Britain, uh, in the UK. And I ended up with a home group that's in England. <laughs> you know, I'm in, I'm in a little tiny state, Rhode Island, uh, in the United States. Um, you know, the smallest state in the union. And um, I, you know, uh, we're very kind of small minded about it, uh, area and that. And, and I have this home group that meets twice a day. Uh, for me, it's in the morning and afternoon. And for well, almost three years now, I've been going and been an active member in that, in that meeting. And it's a, uh, it's once just because the pandemic hit didn't mean I still couldn't participate in AA. Still couldn't be of service to something, somebody, somewhere, somehow. Um, and I'm uh, certainly, you know, honored, you know, that I was asked to come here and speak today. It's uh, it's a privilege, it really is. And um, I want to thank you all, you know, for being here and. Um, um, that's it. That's what I got. I appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks, Megan. <laughs>